As I look back on this past year, 2012, here at Calvary, there's really, there's lots of stuff to rejoice about. I mean, I think about the number of people who have come to faith this past year. We've got this wonderful candle, uh, which is up here, that we light every week in which we know of at least one person who's placed their faith in Christ. And this week, a beautiful little girl uh, trusted in Christ, and we're able to light the candle and celebrate uh, with Sadie. But we're also celebrating there have been people all year long uh, who've come to faith in Christ. And it's been great. It's been wonderful to experience that. God's also blessed us as a church financially. We've not been without our struggles, but man, this, he's been great to us. He's been very kind to us in very difficult economic times. God has been uh, incredibly faithful. He's also blessed us as a church as I look around and see so many people who are engaged in some form of smaller community. To be honest with you, a few years ago when we were sort of thinking about this and praying about it, some of us had our doubts whether this would actually work at Calvary, but we've been praying earnestly and people have been working hard and to hear so many people who are in small groups or adult congregations, it's awesome. And I look back and I'm filled with joy at what God's done in 2012 and it gives me great hope for what God's going to do in 2013. And maybe you're feeling that way in your personal life. Maybe you look back on 2012 and maybe there's been a new addition to your family. Uh, maybe God has been with you in a, in a very real way in 2012. Perhaps you went through difficult times, but God was there and you felt like he was holding your hand, perhaps carrying you all the way through. And as you look back, you think, man, that was, it was tough, but it was a good year. Maybe you moved from one phase of life to another and you're really rejoicing in how God is giving you new opportunities and maybe even a new lease on life as you transition from one phase to the next. And the joy that you've experienced personally in 2012 is filling you with hope for what 2013 is going to hold. But perhaps you're here this morning and neither joy nor hope has really been on your mind. And I'm guessing if those are not the emotions you're feeling this morning, the one I bet you probably are experiencing is fear. Fear is the most common human emotion, and if you're not feeling it this morning, I'm guaranteeing you at some point in this next year, you and I both are going to go through an experience of being afraid. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're looking at 2013 and your financial situation is causing you great fear. Maybe you're out of work. Maybe uh, the bills don't really, uh, you're not able to pay the bills the way that you would like to. Maybe it's a health situation. And Christmas has been great and it's been fun to be around family or other people, but this health situation is always with you. It never goes away. And so you're always thinking about it. And as you think about 2013, you can't help but be afraid. What's this year going to hold? Maybe someone's here this morning thinking about losing a loved one. And they think, you know what? Probably 2013 is going to be that year. And maybe that's creating fear. Maybe there's fear about school. Christmas has been great. It's been nice to be away from school, but 2013 is approaching and you're going to have to go back to class and maybe there's been some bullying going on. Maybe it's been a difficult academic year for you. And right now you're experiencing fear and thinking about going back into school. Maybe you have a child going off to college. It's your first one and you're afraid. How's this going to work? What's this going to be like? Is our family going to just go their separate ways? Maybe there's a broken relationship in your life. 
Maybe it's somebody that's causing you to be afraid. Maybe it's a spouse or a neighbor or a colleague at work. Maybe it's a parent or a child and you're frightened of how they're going to treat you or your relationship with them or what is 2013 going to hold? Well, this morning I'd like to share with you just a short devotional from the book of Psalms for those of us who are going through a season of fear. And if it's not you currently, praise the Lord for that. But maybe this psalm will mean something to you at any point during this next year as you walk that journey. So if you have a Bible, would you please turn to Psalm 56? Again, we don't want to spend lots of time here, but I just wanted to give us a few thoughts as we think about the journey of fear that many of us may be on this morning. Psalm 56 is page 407 in the Bibles uh, the church provides. We've been going through the book of first and books of first and second Samuel. And one of the great things about first and second, first and second Samuel is that we've reached the story of David. King David is this great and wonderful character, but what's really cool about him is not only do we have the narrative of what he's doing, we also have many of the Psalms that he wrote that give us insight into what's going on in his heart. Sometimes with Bible characters, it can be slightly frustrating because they're doing all of this stuff and you're wondering, how do they really feel about this? What are they really thinking? Well, with David, we have a window into his soul. And so one thing we want to do, uh, Lord willing, going forward is now that we're talking more about David in 1 Samuel, to take a break occasionally and look at some of the Psalms that he wrote to give us some insight. If we're going to have an undivided heart for God, it's nice to go know what's going on in David's heart. And Psalm 56 is one of those Psalms. When we last left David, he's on the run from Saul. Saul's hunting him down and trying to kill him. As you can imagine, as he begins his new year, the dominant emotion he's feeling is fear. And so into the middle of that emotion, while Saul is hunting for him, he writes Psalm 56. And I just want to walk through it with us for a few minutes this morning. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. David is worried because Saul is the king. Saul's got power. He's got the army on his side. And Saul has made it his number one priority to hunt David down and kill him. And David is on the run. And he's afraid. We're going to hear that even more as the passage goes on. But as you can imagine, he's very afraid of what Saul can do to him. And we can experience that same thing as we think about what others can do to us. Perhaps it's a work colleague who's set out to make our life miserable at work. Maybe it's a bully at school. Maybe it's someone who's spreading rumors or gossip about us. Maybe it's someone who's trying to alienate us from our child. Whatever it may be, this is what David is going through. He feels this fear of the personal attack of others against him. Verses three and four. When I am afraid, that's where he's at right now. I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? Now here we see David wrestling between fear and trust. He is afraid. Let's not... Let's not cover this over. When I am afraid, he's petrified. He wants to trust God, 
but he's afraid. And in verses 3 and 4, you can feel him going back and forth. When I'm afraid, I trust in God. I trust in God so I won't be afraid. And in the middle of this back and forth, there is this phrase right in the middle. And the way David has set this up, afraid, trust, trust, afraid, it draws our attention to the statement in the middle of verses 3 and 4. In God, whose word I praise. What David's trying to do is, look, I've got to figure out a way to trust God. How am I going to do that in the midst of this fear? And the way he reasons he's going to do that is by thinking about God's word and the promises God has made to David. What kind of promises? Probably one like Psalm 55, verse 22. A psalm very closely connected to this. It's just a few verses above where we are. Glance up there. Psalm 55, verse 22 Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous fall. In the middle of his fear, David is thinking to himself, but wait a minute, wait a minute. I have this promise from God that if I cast my cares on him, he will sustain me. And so in the middle of this tug of war, as David is going back and forth between fear and trust, he's trying to say, but what does God's word say? It says that he will sustain me. He will never let the righteous fall. See, it's interesting that What's making David afraid is what humans are threatening to do to him. What's helping David not be afraid is thinking about what humans can't do to him. See that? What can mortal man do to me? He's afraid because Saul is after him, but then he stops to think about it and says, but wait a minute, wait a minute. What really can Saul do to me? God is the one who's promised that he'll take care of me. He's the one that's promised the righteous won't fall. God's given us promises like that too. Like Romans 8, where it says, if God's for us, who can be against us? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is available to us in Christ Jesus. Nothing, no circumstance, no person, nothing can separate us. Or John 19, where Jesus says to Pilate, you think you have authority over me, but you need to remember that there is nothing you can do to me that you don't have to run by God first. That even those who are our enemies must have God's permission. Now, he does sometimes grant it. But when he does, it's so that he may redeem that event and use it for our good. And so David is saying, wait a second. Stop and think. There is a lot that humans can do to me, but on the other hand, what really can humans do to me? And here is an important truth from Psalm 56 that I'd like for us to remember this year. That what David has done is he has set in contrast humans' limited capacity to harm us. They do have some capacity to do us harm, but it's limited. And he's setting against Humans' limited capacity to harm us over against God's unlimited capacity to restrain them and to redeem whatever happens to us. Humans' limited capacity to harm us is set against God's unlimited capacity to restrain them and to redeem us. 
Now that's all well and good, but notice the psalm doesn't end there. Verses five through eight, all day long they twist my words, they are always plotting to harm me. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, eager to take my life. On no account let them escape. In your anger, O God, bring down the nations. Record my lament, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? I said, wait a minute, David. I thought you weren't afraid anymore. Didn't we hear trust in the Lord? And this is an important truth. Is that we'd like to think that you just stand up here on a Sunday morning and say, hey, trust God. And voila, everything's fixed. Everything's taken care of. But the problem is, is that the situations I mentioned at the beginning of this, none of those have changed in the 10 minutes that I've been here. Same thing for David. Trust in the Lord. Saul's still out there. <laughs> Nothing's changed. And so we see David slip back into his fears. And look, this is a real issue. This is what we do. We're faced with fear. God reminds us to trust in him and we fall right back into our fear again. And so what's the response? Verses 9 and 11. Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What's David doing? He's simply going back through the same thing again. And here's the point. It's only in the constant reminder that God is for us can we overcome our fears. This is not a one-time act. This is not, well, I was there on December 30th. Pastor said I could trust God. Everything's fine. It's the constant daily reminder don't be afraid trust in the Lord what can man do to me that when you walk out these doors today when you go back to school when you go back to work it's not going to be enough to say well I heard something on December 30th you and I are going to have to every day say but what can man do to me what has God promised me God is for me who can be against me and in David's case he shows us his very human side it's a constant battle against fear. It's not a one-time fight. And so David fights it again. He reminds himself again, but wait a minute. What really can man do to me? And he closes with, I am under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now we may think, well, did he just rescue did he just get rescued from Saul in between verses 11 and 12? No, Saul's still out there waiting for him. But David is now remembering all the times that God has rescued him in the past. And this is beginning to give him assurance that God will rescue him in the future, that God is true to his word. And to me, that's what makes Psalm 56 such a great psalm for a December 30. Because no matter how bad this 2013 may look, if you're a believer, I know that you can look back on 2012 or prior and see some way in which God has delivered you. Seen some way in which God has shown up and been there for you. I'm not saying that everything's great right now, but I'm saying if we're honest with one another, we can look back and see God's presence with us to know, wait a minute, wait a minute. He didn't abandon me. He's been here. Yes, it's been hard, but he's been with me the whole time. That's what David is doing. And by doing that, he says, I know that God is for me. He's shown he's for me in the past. There's no reason for him not to be for me now. This is what also makes this psalm such a good psalm for doing communion. 
David says, you have delivered me from death. When you come forward this morning and you take communion, it's a reminder that no matter what happens in 2013, if you are a believer in Jesus, God has already delivered you from death. That through Christ's blood, we have been saved. What can mortal man, well, what's the very worst thing that could happen? Someone could kill us. But God has already delivered us from death. And that in communion, there is no more powerful statement that God is for you than the fact that while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this morning, when you hold that bread and that cup in your hand, I want us to think about the fact. If God did not spare his own son, his beloved son, but offered him up for us, how much more will he through Jesus freely give us all things? And this morning as we take communion, we say with David, when I am afraid, I will trust in God. God in whose word I praise, what can mortal man do to me? If God is for me, who can be against me?